seeing your donuts in you. How are you doing today? All right, great, great. If you're joining us online today, so glad you could be joining us as we go through this remarkable series together. We've been talking about it for several weeks now. You've probably gotten some emails. You've watched our little promotional videos. You've seen our, our Facebook posts and our Instagram posts and other social media posts. Um, you've seen out in the atrium, no doubt, our our banners are up. It's all over the building. And hopefully by now you have received your own copy of the story. I am so excited that we are launching this series today. Over the next 31 weeks, we as a church are going to be diving into the Word of God with a determination that, quite frankly, a lot of people just don't have when it comes to reading God's Word these days. Hopefully, like I said, just mentioned a second ago, you've received your own copy of the story. In case you haven't picked it up yet, um, or if you're just hearing about this for the first time, you can pick up your copy today. In fact, actually, that's not quite true. I was just told right before I walked up here that we're out of books again. We are, and I guess that's a great problem to have. Um, uh, so you can clap for that. You can clap for being out of books. Um, so, but we're taking orders again. And so I'll tell you, we, we ordered a first round of books and we're like, that should be enough. And then it wasn't. We ordered another round of books. Certainly that will be enough. It wasn't. We ordered another round of books and I was like, that's gonna be enough. And it wasn't. Do you think the Lord's trying to test our faith just a little bit? Grow our faith challenges just a little bit? I, I don't know. But we'll take your order this week. We'll put it in. It will be here in the next couple of days. We'll send you an email. But uh, this is just an incredible resource. This is the Bible arranged in chronological order so that it reads like a novel. And it's put together in such a way to help you understand the story. I've been saying this for several weeks now, that between Genesis and Revelation, that's the whole Bible, there is this story and you can track it all the way through scripture. This story Bible is, is the Bible put together to track that story. And uh, I just can't wait to go through it with you. I don't know if you know this or not, this might be new information for you, but it is estimated that the average American family has four Bibles in their home. Did you know that? Four Bibles. Now, whether that be on a coffee table somewhere or a bookshelf or a nightstand or in a box up in the attic, but there's about four Bibles for every family in America. But unfortunately, most of them go unread and most people are unaware of the treasure that is sitting right there in their homes. I think that by the time we get done with this series, that you will realize, every last one of us will realize what an incredible blessing that we all possess right here in our hands. A couple of years ago in Carson City, Nevada, there was a man who died. And this is one of those times where somebody dies and nobody notices. It's like, you know, he just was gone one day and uh, nobody noticed for like a month that he was gone. He was a man who had lived in the same house since the 1960s, kind of a recluse, kind of a loner, didn't really seem to have any friends or family. And, and so it probably wasn't a surprise that his death went unnoticed for an entire month. But once it was discovered, and they began to try to settle his estate. They realized he only had $200 in his checking account. And so they weren't expecting a whole lot when they entered into his home and they began to do what they do in situations like this. 
And when they were clearing the house and cleaning it up, they got the shock of their lives. They struck gold, literally gold. When they cleaned out Walter Samasco's house after they discovered he was gone, they discovered gold bars and gold coins that he had been collecting for years. Some of the gold coins go all the way back to the 1840s and were quite rare. Some of this gold came from all different parts of the world. Some of the gold was traced back to Mexico. Some was traced to England and to South Africa, literally places all over the globe. And just in raw weight, when they gathered up all the gold he had in his, hand, in his house, just in raw weight, that's not counting the value added for collectibles and things like that, but just in raw weight of gold bars and coins, it is estimated that they were worth over $7 million. $7 million. It's a gold mine. Wasted. What I'm trying to tell you is that by the time that we're done with this series, you're going to realize that the story is a gold mine that you have been had sitting around all of this time. And when you figure out how to put it all together, it's going to change your life. You've got a gold mine sitting in your house and you didn't even know it. And it's very valuable. Very valuable. My prayer for this series is the same prayer that Paul prayed in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, when he was talking to the church. He said, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. My prayer for us, and I hope you would be praying for this too, is that this story radically changes your life. Wherever you are at right now, that where you are when you begin this story, by the time we finish, your life will be changed. I pray for that. I pray that it radically transforms our church. And I pray that there's not a one of us who will ever be the same after we digest God's, God's word together. So... As we begin, let me just answer a couple basic questions. First of all, what is the story? I know some of you are here for the very first time today, and maybe some of you are even hearing this for the first time. What is the story? For the lack of better terms, the story is simply a reading plan straight from the NIV version of the Bible, which is the version that I preach from here on Sunday mornings. It is the Bible, and it's arranged in chronological order. And what they've done is they've cut out some parts and summarized some other parts to help the Bible read like a novel, read just like any book that you'd pick up off the shelf. And what you'll notice is that when you pick it up and you begin to read it, that it's the exact same words that you have in your regular Bible. And if you've read it already, then, then you already know. That's what the story is. It's, it's really, it's a reading plan. It's a great resource for you. Now, let me ask you this question. Maybe you're wondering this. Why are we doing this? Why, why are we investing 31 weeks into this journey through the Bible? Well, we have a number of reasons, and maybe you even have reasons beyond the ones I'm going to give you, but I'm going to share with you three big reasons for why we're doing this. And the first one is this. Bible literacy is at an all-time low today. It's true. Bible literacy is at an all-time low. We have 
churches all around our country who are filled with God-honoring people who are trying to live for the Lord, but when push comes to shove, they don't know what God's word says. And that's been a shift and a downward trend over the last couple of decades. People just don't know the Bible like, like they used to. Second reason we're gonna do this is because you need to know the Bible to live the Christian life, plain and simple. You need to know the Bible to live the Christian life. We can't become what God wants us to be if we don't know God's word. If all we've got is a little nugget from a Sunday morning text or, or we see somebody's Facebook post where they, they posted a scripture and that's all of our exposure to the word of God, it's just not enough to live this Christian life. We, we need the Bible to be a Christian. Third reason for why we're doing this series is because you are part of the story. You are part of the story. Every last one of us in this room is a part of this story. This isn't just a random collection of stories that happened a long, long time ago. No, this is your story. This is my story. This is just as much a part of your story as anyone else you're gonna read about in God's word. Now, one thing that you're gonna see, and we'll talk about this more and more as we unpack it, as we get in this story, you're gonna see that God has a master plan. You begin to see what God is doing from the beginning to the end, and we're gonna refer to that as God's upper story. That's where there is no boundaries of time, there is no boundaries of generations, it's God has a visual of what the whole thing looks like from beginning to end. We are living in what we'll call the lower story, the daily grind of life, the everyday um, living for the Lord. That's the lower story. And a lot of times in our lower story, we can't see what God is doing in his upper story. But there are times when our lower story intersects with God's upper story and we get a little picture, oh, this is what God is doing. I'll point these things out as we get further into this, but there's an upper story and there's a lower story. And and when you understand how these two come together, it, it, it's pretty awesome. So here's what I'd like to ask you to do during this series. The first one is I'd like to ask you to come. And some of you guys are like, well, aren't we already here? Why do you gotta ask us to come? We're here, aren't we? No, I want you to come back. I want you to stay with this series. I would like to ask you to make church attendance a real priority in your life and be committed to it. You will get so much more out of this journey by being in this place than just than not being in this place. Also, I wanna ask you that uh, when you come, bring your story Bible with you. Bring this with you to church on Sundays. Now, let me be very clear about something. This is not a replacement for your Bible. This is a resource. This is a companion tool. Some of you will probably want to bring your story Bible and your regular Bible because you're kind of like I am in some ways. I like to keep my story Bible on my left leg and put my regular Bible on my right leg if I could do that while I stand up here. You know, and, and I like to compare. Oh, and you're going to notice it's the exact same words in each book. This is the Bible, and so is what you have. So feel free to bring both, but I'm going to ask you, please bring your story Bible, because when I preach, I'll be making references to page numbers out of your story Bible, and I'll also include scripture references along with it. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. So come. I'd like to ask you to read. Um, I'd like to ask you to read a chapter a week during the course of this series and come to church ready with that chapter read. Now, just by a show of hands, how many of you have already read chapter one before you came in here today? All right, by a show of hands, how many of you did not? No, I'm kidding. Don't raise your hand. I'm, no, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But let me encourage you to come and to read your chapter coming up um, each week. And finally, 
I'd like to ask you to discuss this stuff, to discuss. Um, find somebody to go through the story with you. If you're married, talk it over with your spouse. Include your family. Read it together. Maybe you want to pair up with a buddy from work or somebody from the gym. Or if you've got a friend, say, hey, let's meet for a cup of coffee and let's just set a time every week. And we're going to do the story together and we're going to go through the study guide. You'll notice in your bulletins, we provide the study guide. You'll get one of those every single week. You can also go to our website. You can download the exact same study guide. And for those of you that want to go even deeper than that, we have some resources available that you can do personally that's going to take you much, much deeper even still. It's like, no, I want to I dive in so deep. We can help you with that. But my point is, don't go down this journey alone. If you're in a life group, stick with your life group. If you want to jump into a life group, check out our board out in the atrium. If you see on our cards there with green dots, grab one of those cards and, and jump right in. It's like them saying, hey, we want you to be a part of the story with us. Um, Gail Brashinger, who is in this service, I believe, somewhere. She's our life groups director. She would love to be able to help you get plugged into a group. Reach out for Gail, and uh, she would love to help you in, in any way that we know how to, to help you to the best of our ability, jump into a life group. So without any further ado, would you please open your story Bibles to page one. Page one. We are going to start page one, and it says this at the very beginning of chapter one. In the beginning, God created. Okay, let's stop right there. You probably noticed, if you're one of those people that has one Bible on one leg and your storybook open on the other, that this is the exact same words that you read in the Bible. It is Genesis chapter one, verse one. It says, in the beginning, God. And right here at the very beginning, in the first five words of the Bible, we are introduced to the story's main character, which is God. The main character of this story is God. This is a book about him, and it's a book about you, and it's a book about me. But these first five words set the stage for how it all begins, how God's story begins, and eventually how his story is going to intersect with us. Now, let me say something to you, and maybe you've never thought about it this way, but I'm going to present it in a way that I will challenge you here a little bit. If you can believe the first five words of the Bible, then you should have no problem believing anything else you're gonna read in the story. Now think about that. If you can believe the first five words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, then you can also believe that God spoke to a man through a burning bush and God parted the sea and millions of Israelites went through on dry ground. If you can believe the first five words of the Bible, in the beginning God, then you can also believe that there was a man who got swallowed by a big fish and three days later got burped out up on the shore. If you can believe the first five words of the Bible, then you can also believe that God would raise his son from the dead. Perhaps a good question for us all to ask ourselves as we begin this journey together is, do I actually believe that in the beginning, God? Do I believe that? Do I, do I accept that? And if you're here today and you're not exactly sure where you are in answering that question, I just want you to know that's perfectly okay. I'm so glad that you're here, and I just wanna encourage you to keep reading 
keep coming on Sundays. I know that you are in a search right now for the truth. You are in a search to discover perhaps what God wants to show you. And I just want you to know and encourage you, you are in the right place to find the answers to the questions that you are asking. And I would just encourage you, be an open person. All right, God, I'm here. Would, would you show me? I'm going to read your, I'm going to read your word and I'm open. Would you show me? And I hope you'll stick with it. So the story begins with God. He's the main character and it begins with what God did. He created. So you got your story Bibles open to page one. Let's read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. The Bible goes on to detail um, in, in, uh, in a great account of what exactly God did each day. And now here's an easy way maybe for us to remember creation. Um, day one, day two, and day three those are all places that God created. So on day one, he created the light and the dark. On day two, he created the sky and the water. And on day three, he created the land. These are all spaces. These are places that God created. Now on days four, five, and six, that is when God filled those places with the things he created. So on day four, he filled with the sun, moon, stars. On day five, he filled it with the birds and sea creatures. And on day six, he filled it with animals and man. And God created all of this. And at the end of each day, what did he say? He looked at his creation and he said, it is good. That's right. And so if you're taking notes this morning, why don't you write this down? God created and everything was good. God created and everything is good. But there was something a little bit different about something he created. Even more special when it came to humans. After God created Adam and Eve, he did not say it was good. No, after he created Adam and Eve, what did he say? It is very good. Man was different than everything else that God had created. Man was made in his own image. Now, now, did you see this? Did you catch this when you read the story? That there was something different about Adam and Eve. God made him in his own image, and that was different than the fish. It was different than the birds. It was different than the animals. It was different than anything else. Only man was created in the image of God. Look over at the bottom of page two. Look at the bottom of page two. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our, in, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. There was, there was just something more special about humans than anything else. And what the creation account teaches us is perhaps, um, it teaches us more about this than anything else. That God's core passion is us. 
Okay, this is what we take away from God creating all this stuff, that at the core of his passion, you find people, you find us. And God wants nothing more than to be with us. This perfect and beautiful world that God created, it was incomplete without his crowning achievement people who he could enjoy and who he could love on and whom he could communicate with. Adam and Eve, you and me, everybody in between, we are the crown of his, all of his creation. His vision was to spend eternity in a perfect community, enjoying fellowship with the people that he created in his own image. And he chose to bring you and me into this world for his pleasure. And to this day, to this day, he yearns to be with us, to walk beside us, to experience life with us, the highs and the lows. God wants to walk down this road with us. This was God's vision. This was God's dream. But in the midst of this perfect world that he had created, something shifted. Something shifted in a massive way. Something shifted and it forever changed the course of history and it's a shift that still drastically affects you and I to this day. And what was that shift? Something shifted the moment that Adam and Eve did what? They sinned. The moment they sinned, something shifted. And so we learn from the creation account that God created and everything is good. And then we learn man sinned and everything falls apart. Man sinned and everything falls apart. When God gave Adam and Eve this perfect place in the garden to live, he also gave them something else. And it's actually the very same thing that God still continues to give to us to this day. Freedom. Freedom. That's what he gave Adam and Eve. Rather than force them into a relationship with him, he gave them the freedom to choose to do life with him or to go about life on their own, to go it alone. God gave them this choice. And so God set these two trees in the middle of the garden. One was the tree of life, which bore fruit that when eaten would sustain life forever. And the other tree was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you know the story, this is when we are introduced to the Bible's supreme villain. It's Satan. Satan slithers up to Eve in the form of a serpent or a snake, and he tempts Eve. Now, the Bible, when we get into the story here even more, we're going to learn about this supreme villain. This is where we are first introduced to him, but it's not the last time we're going to encounter him in the story. The Bible refers to him as a fallen angel who God kicked out of his presence. The Bible talks about Satan as being the father of lies and that whenever Satan speaks, he's speaking his native language, which, was, which is that of a liar. The, the Bible tells us that Satan's role is to kill and to steal and to destroy. Satan, it represents all the bad that's in this world. And if there's some bad in your life, I can promise you that Satan has his fingerprints on it somewhere. And we read in scripture that Adam and Eve, they ate from this forbidden tree, this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it was at that moment, it was at that very moment when Adam and Eve brought the fruit up to their mouth and they took a bite. It was at that moment that God's vision to be with people was ruined. Right there. That's when it was ruined. 
So we've only read a couple pages of this story. And if you were to open up your story, if you got your finger there, you're going to see that what we've just been talking about takes up about that much space in the story. That God created and everything was good, but man sinned and everything falls apart. That's what this part of the story is about. Do you want to know what this part of the story is about right here? The whole rest of the Bible is about God's pursuit to get us back. Right here. And this is what we're going to learn. This is how valuable we are to God. That all of this is his pursuit to get us back into a right relationship with him. Turn over to page six. We're going to go at the bottom of the page. It says this. So the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. How awful must that have been for Adam and Eve? Here they are. They're living in this perfect place. They have to work for nothing. Everything is provided. And they are leaders over the whole garden. And they walk and talk with God. They have daily conversations. It's just as real as you and I talking right now. And then banished, never to return. How hard was that for them? Difficult. Everything changed that day. Sin entered the world that day. It more than just entered the world. It entered all of us. I, I like how one author described it. He said, Adam and Eve's disobedience became an inheritance for the rest of us. Sin is like a disease that gets passed for, through each member of the family. It is like a disease that goes from one generation to the next, and it doesn't skip a generation. It's a disease your grandparents had, it's a disease that we have, and it's a disease that you're gonna pass on to your children. We have all got this disease. The Bible in Romans 3.23 describes it this way. For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a perfect person in this world. There's not a person alive today who has never sinned. We all fall short. Maybe you're thinking kind of like what I sometimes think when I read the creation account. Adam and Eve had one thing they had to obey. Just one. Not ten things. It's not like they had to know the whole Bible and obey every last word. Just one rule and they blew it. Couldn't they have eaten the banana? Couldn't they have eaten the pineapple? Just one rule. And they blew it. And then maybe in our quieter moments, we would say, you know, we would have probably eaten it too if we were there. And here's why. Because there's a whole lot of stuff that God told me not to do, and I still do it. And there's a whole lot of things that God says I should do, and I don't. And so probably I would have done the same thing in their situation. 
See, Adam and Eve, they chose a different vision from God's vision. Sin became a part of, of the spiritual DNA of Adam and Eve. And what did they do? They produced more sinners. So you have, we know that Adam and Eve had several children. We know of two of them, Cain and Abel. And what happened with these two brothers? You see Cain, he rose up and he killed his brother Abel. And sin continued to spread from Adam and Eve to their children. And it began to spread all over the place. Look at the top of, of page eight. It says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. And friends, that's like one of the saddest things you're going to read in the Bible. That God had this vision, and this vision is ruined, and wickedness and sin had taken all over the earth until finally God says, I'm just going to get rid of it all. I've heard people say, you know what, right now, the day we're living in, it is the worst it has ever been in the history of man. You could not be more wrong. You look back on how they described the days of Noah, that every single person on the face of the earth's thoughts were wicked all the time. Friends, you know what? We still have Christians scattered all around the world who are carrying the flame for Christ, so there's still hope. But this is a day when there was none of that. Every inclination, every thought of every single person was wicked all the time, except for one person. And his name was Noah. And we read about him. He found favor in the eyes of God. And so God said, you know what? I'm gonna wipe wickedness off the earth. I'm gonna destroy everything in a flood, but I'm gonna spare Noah and I'm gonna spare some of the animals. And so God said, Noah, I want you to build a boat. Um, we call it an ark. It's like this football field and a half long um, lifeboat. And inside, um, it took many years to build, but inside God brought two of every kind of animal. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and his three daughter-in-laws and God is going to do a big time do-over with Noah and his family. But here's what happened. The flood erased the wicked human race. But it did not erase the sin nature from Noah and his family. If you were to keep reading, after Noah comes out of the ark, what happens? Noah gets drunk and he passes out. And this problem, sin, has not been resolved. Sin has been a problem ever since the day Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Which brings me to this. The solution to restoring mankind, to restoring mankind to the kind of relationship that it had with God in the garden, it will not be found in us. And that's the reality. The solution, God's fix to all of this, is not going to be found in anybody, not one of us, not anybody that's ever lived, not anybody who ever will live. It's going to be found in somebody else. And as I think about that, we're going to talk a little bit more about the hope that comes with that. But it's like God is saying, you know what? I've got to step in and do something myself. So it won't be on us. 
God is going to do something. So God created everything, and it was good. And man sinned, and everything falls apart. And then right here at the end of our chapter, we get a glimpse of this. God promises there's still hope. God promises there's still hope. Because what we're reading right now, it's like all bad news. I mean, I mean, this creation account, it, it, it's leaving some doom and gloom. But even within the pages of Scripture, the very first opening pages of the Bible, we are not left without hope. And there, right there in, in the Genesis account of creation, we find three glimpses of hope that God has a solution. And the first one is this. In Genesis 3.15, we learn that there is a prophecy um, about Jesus. It's the first, what we would call a messianic prophecy. All that means is the Lord is going to send somebody to fix it, and it won't be us. It says in Genesis chapter 3.15, says he, the Lord is talking to Satan here, and for, he's going to punish him for tempting Eve to do this. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, now who's he referring to? Now we know, because many of us know the rest of the story, God is referring to the Messiah. God is referring to ultimately Jesus. He says, he, because of what you've done, Satan, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, that's going to make a lot more sense when we get deeper into the story. But let me ask you this. Have you guys seen Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion? Have you guys seen that? It, it, it's a great movie that you have to watch one time in your life. I watched it one time in the movie theater, and I was like, thank you, Lord, that I had to see that. I don't know if I could see it again. But you got to watch it once in your lifetime. There's a scene. What it does, it depicts Jesus' last week on earth and his trial and his crucifixion and resurrection. It's a, it's a powerful movie. Um, but there's a scene where Jesus is in the garden and he's praying and, and the serpent comes up to Jesus, the tempter, and trying to get Jesus to not go through with the cross. And this is the part of the Bible where, where it says Jesus was dripping great drops of blood because of such an intense prayer and all of his disciples had fallen asleep. So in the movie, this is how Mel Gibson and his movie, they interpret Genesis 3.15. It's in the movie, they said, well, let's have Satan come in and tempt him. And Jesus stands up from his prayer and then he smashes the snake with his foot. Do you remember this scene in the movie? It's powerful. That's Mel Gibson's way of bringing in the promise of Genesis 3.15. Jesus smashes the serpent, and he goes to the cross. It's a great movie. So that's the first sign of hope, that there's a deliverer coming, and he will crush you, Satan, for what you have done to this day. He will crush you for this sin. He will crush you for breaking my vision. He will crush you for doing what you've done. This is what God is saying to Satan. So right here at the beginning, we know that Satan loses, and that is good news. The second glimpse that there is still hope from the creation account is this, is that God had to cover over Adam and Eve's shame. 
Now, Adam and Eve, what happened when they ate that fruit? The Bible says that they realized for the first time that they were naked and they were shameful. They were ashamed of themselves. And so they hid from God. They were hiding their nakedness from, from God. There was this barrier now between them and God. And it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, that the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, if this is your first time to read the story, and this is all brand new, then I have no doubts that this part of the story probably went right past you, and because you don't have the context of the rest. But for those of us that know the rest of the story, this still may not even connect, but I'm going to help connect a dot for you. What is going on here is that when God made them garments of skin to cover over their shame, do you realize what's happening here? Blood had to be shed to cover over their guilt. An animal had to die. Now, many scholars believe that this is the very first time that anything was ever killed in God's creation. So blood was shed to cover over the guilt and shame. He made them clothes. They didn't need them before. From this point forward... From this point forward, blood has to be shed to cover our guilt and shame and forgive us of our sins. Every time. You're going to read this over and over as we go through the story. Sacrifices, blood being shed to cover this guilt and sins of the people. Do you know what this sets the stage for? This sets the stage for Jesus to come and be the sacrifice once and for all. That when we talk about Jesus died on the cross and he sacrificed himself and he shed his blood for the sins of the world, somebody had to die to cover over our guilt and our shame and it was Jesus. And it's the once and for all sacrifice on the cross. There is no more sacrifice after that. It's about following God and being a part of his family. So right here, by this little glimpse of hope that Adam and Eve had their guilt and shame covered over by the shedding of blood, it sets the stage for what Jesus will do one day on the cross. That will become more clear when we get a little deeper into this. And then there's one other thing that happens in creation that gives us a glimmer of hope of what is to come, that not all is lost. And that is when Noah comes out of the ark and what did God set in the sky as a reminder to him? A rainbow. The Bible says that God put a rainbow in the sky as a reminder of his promise that he would never destroy the earth again by a worldwide flood. And friends, whenever you see a rainbow today, it should still serve as the exact same reminder that God has not abandoned us. That God has a plan. That God brought a solution. And it was Jesus. So, from the creation story we discover that we, of our, we are all of great value to God. That out of all the things that God created, we are more valuable than them all and that God wants to be with you. Now just think about that for a minute. What we learn from the creation account is that God wants to be with you. Now what does that do for you? What does that stir inside of you to know that God created all this because he wants to be with you? God wants to be with you personally. And not only that, what a great cost that God gave so that we could be together. Think about all that he has done to get you back. You are valuable to him. He literally 
went to the ends of the earth for you. Please don't ever let anybody tell you that you are of no value. And if you walk away with anything from chapter one, it should be this. God loves you. You are of great value to him. And there is no link, there's no measure, there's no cost he won't do to be with you. The whole rest of the Bible tells that story. And I cannot wait to unpack it with you. Dear Heavenly Father.